Lee, we greatly appreciate you taking time for us. Okay, one second. Because only, only because. Uh... Tell Gigi I'll be there in a minute. Okay. <laughs> Without the audience, right? Yeah. I gotta be inappropriate. Alright, I'm done being inappropriate. Perfect. Oh, we. Hi. We enjoy it. Well, I'll be inappropriate for you guys, too, in a good way. Uh, we appreciate you taking time for us. Dude, I appreciate just the opportunity. Yes. Absolutely. So, this is a small bit of our uh, press corps. Cool. Uh, they all have different websites, different things that they do. And you guys go ahead and. Hi, friends. Go right ahead. What's up, buddy? Uh, having a great time. It's Are a fun you? show. Yeah, I mean, I like big shows, I like little shows. And uh, one of the great things about this one is it feels like I'm really meeting and hanging and getting an opportunity to like thank the fans. The fans make you in this business. And I, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I do conventions is to like really thank the people. I like to say, you know, well, it's true in fact that if someone's not watching you with my art, it defines my art form, it defines acting for me. Uh, and the audience has a big part of it. And especially now with social media, bloggers, all the things, I mean, it's kind of important to like let the people know you're not an asshole and that you appreciate the fact that you've, you know, like I like to joke like thanks to the fans I live at the beach, you know, because it's, they've afforded me a great lifestyle. And sure, a lot of it has, but a lot of it has, I know I did grow up there, but a lot of it has to do with the fact that when you're a character actor, you kind of need some people on your side. And in, the, in this era of 2014, if you have a shitload of Twitter followers or you have a full-on Facebook fan fandom, um, that's what they're looking at. Studios are. They care about this. So we have a, we have a really important relationship now in terms of, you know, uh, the press, the actor. We're both just doing our job. So I really appreciate the opportunity to come to these events and give the love back. You know, I think that's kind of the thing I like to turn the tables I like to say that, you know, half the time, the people that I'm meeting are way more interesting than me. Have cooler jobs, great things. Maybe they still have the dream. I'm living it. How can I encourage that? The young actor, maybe the guy that couldn't afford to make a move to L.A. or New York. And I'm kind of, he wanted that dream and I'm living it. <coughs> so I like to have that interaction, right? And then at the end of the day, it doesn't hurt to sell a few autographs and make a few bucks. You know, never does. So what led you to acting? Fucking the Lord. <coughs> I mean, I don't know. I came out of the womb fucking acting. I've always said, this is a real actor. Oh, thanks, man. Well, I come from the oh, theater. I but I mean, I come from the theater. I grew up in L.A. I grew up with Sean Penn and Emilio Estevez and Robert Downey Jr. But at the same time, their fam was in the biz. My family wasn't. I just had the desire, right? So... I became, I, when I was at UCLA, I helped found a theater company called The Actors Gang with my buddies, including Tim Robbins and Lawrence Olivier's son, Richard. We had quite a theatrical history in the 80s and the 90s, at least my participation. And that was directly kind of what got me started as a pro. So I, I prove it every night to the audience. I mean, that's where I come from. I have a real respect for my audience because I come from the theater. You know, I always wanted to be in film and TV. Way more seductive experience. You know, to, and also, like, listen, theater's hard. It's hard work. You gotta do it, like, every time, like it's the first time. Film and TV, you just gotta be on in the moment. And it's a forever business. And that's what really gets me. It's like, you know, how many, how many jobs do you have where you get one crack at it? 
Like we do a scene in a t- our TV show, and once upon a time, I got, I got that one two hour, three hour window to nail that <laughs> sit, shit and move on. So you got to come prepared. I love that. I like my art to be like totalitarian. I'm not into democratic art. I want someone with a vision telling me what to do. I'm an uber marionette, okay? And that's how I see actors, you know, is we're, we, I just read the script. People go, how do you do it? I go, well, I start by reading the script and doing that. You know what I mean? Like, that's my method. It's whatever works. Like, if it's on the page, I'm, how the fuck am I going to do that? And that's the game. But to keep it simple, don't get caught doing it. You know, God forbid you get caught acting. It's like, ugh. It's one of the worst feelings you can have is catching yourself doing it, you know. But I, I still take class. That's the key. Like, I work with, I go and hang out with young and hungry 20-year-old actors that want it worse than me. And I'm like, no, you don't. My desire is still strong at 52 like it was at 18, you know. And that's the key to it. It's not an easy business. It's not fair. It's like there's nothing fair about it. So, you know, if you're in it, know that. And come hungry, come hard, come prepared, you know. Dare to fail. I had a professor at UCLA, and he would say, he was German, he'd be like, dare to fail. That's such a great saying. That's what we do as artists, you know, dare to fail. Go for it. Who would you say has had the biggest impact on your career? Wow, Tim Robbins and John Cusack early on helped me get going um, and really kind of established my fucking bona fides within the world when, when I was a young actor because Tim was kind of like my older brother. We went to UCLA and then we started our theater company and that's really the seminal kind of event in my acting career was early actors gang. And if you guys look that up, there's some fantastic stuff where I'm doing plays in like 1985 with John Cusack, Jeremy Piven, Fisher Stevens, Young Hollywood. And that's, and you know, that's, but that's where, and then Jack Black came out of our group. Kyle Gass was my old college roommate, Tenacious D. They all, they came out of, that's actors gang. That's who we are. I can remember the very first time Jack and Kyle, Kyle's always been a musician, but he, Jack wanted to learn to play guitar and that's how Tenacious D started came out of our theater company. So to have that as my, that's really probably the most important part of my development um, early on. Um, Cause that made me, and I was so hungry and so, I mean, I'm a cocky, aggressive motherfucker. I really am. And I don't, I take no prisoners. And you know, I'm nice to everybody cause I treat people like I want to be treated. But in terms of my acting, in terms of when I tow the mark, I'm there to fucking slay you, okay? Because that's the, that's the attitude you need to have to survive in Hollywood, is you gotta be, um, you gotta hit it hard every time. We don't make the Hall of Fame as actors by batting 300, we gotta bat 1,000. And that's my mindset. I'm gonna hit every ball as hard as I can right back up the middle. That's what I'm trying to do. So I prepare myself, and uh, but I also relax and enjoy it and realize that if you're shallow enough to ask the universe for something like an opportunity to be a movie star, then if you get that opportunity, enjoy it. It's not that hard. Easiest way to get an actor to complain is give him a job. So just don't be like that, right? And then they pay you for the waiting on a movie show, on a movie set. The acting you do for free. It's your contribution. So whenever I get called out of my trailer, I'm like, ah, oh, it's fucking money time, right? This is on me. It's just my time now. 
the waiting, the whatever. Back in Pirates, they used to play a lot of internet poker. Yeah, can't come yet. I got a pocket eights. Everyone chill. You know, got 150 bucks pushed. Are you pushed. the fantasy football one now? Yeah. The one you can win money? With Vinny? Yeah, but my team's... Oh, not that one. Uh, oh, like FanDuel or any of those? Yeah. I haven't gotten into it yet, but I should. I think we're not. Yeah. Are you, what, what press are you with, sir? Uh, <laughs> I'm you, under the belt. <laughs> under the belt. <laughs> That's my favorite gay newspaper. <laughs> so, I'm getting the vibe. You probably, were you a big since you grew up on the beach, as he was saying. Mm. Did you out surfing a lot? Or? I mean, I'm not very good, but I love the water. You know, you see him surfing? I'm a better, you know what I'm real, I'm a good, but I'm a boogie, I'm better on the boogie board. I'm just better on the boogie board. I mean, I'm five foot five, 185. I mean, I can surf, but I'm not great. But it doesn't really matter. My, my more passion is just like, if I'm going to, I like to ride my bike. I like bikes. Like my favorite sport to watch is like Tour de France and stuff. So like if I'm like my workout of choice is just, I'm going to ride like 20 miles on the beach and clear my head and. Yeah. You never ride a mile. That's too far. That's twenty-five miles. It's twenty miles exactly to your house, actually, from my house. If I go over to Topanga, uh, well, to your if you place. took the what no, do you call it? PCH to Topanga, straight to your house is exactly like literally twenty miles from my house. You know, but that's the thing about LA. Like twenty miles, you got to go through fourteen million people. Oh, you know, it's a lot of people. You know, but um, yeah, I definitely enjoy that. Uh, Grew up in Santa Monica, and now I live in Venice Beach. And there's something about it, you know, that it's, I mean, yeah, we're turning into a bunch of hipsters down there, but there's still a bit of a roughness and a mix of people that I enjoy. Do you, would you consider yourself a hipster? Uh, I'm too old to be a hipster, but I do love Portlandia as my favorite show. And if Fred Armisen is listening, I want to work on your show. I love you and Carrie. So I don't know if you guys watch Portland. So everybody that's watching this, we just need to tweet at him. To yeah. Watch you on the show. Yeah, I mean, that's that would be, honestly, if I could if I could be on any show on TV, that's my show. Not Once Upon a Time. I'm on Once Upon a Time. I got oh, that one. that's right. No, no, I mean, I'm not, I'm not in denial about Once or something, but I have that one, you know, in the bag, and I'm lucky enough to be recurring on that, which is obviously a, uh, worked out to be fantastic for me. You know? As an actor, would you ever do blackface? <laughs> yeah, I mean, if the part was about people that did blackface, I mean, if it's just oh, for sure, drag. Oh, I mean, no, for sure, I did it in Pirates. I played drag. I did drag in Pirates. Pirates one, I was in a dress, you know. And the thing is, like any part, any part, okay. You always have to approach it as the character. It's not me doing that. I'm not naked in the scene. The character's naked. That's how we deal with it, you know? Um, and on the other side, if I'm on Law & Order, I'm playing a child molester, a fucking somebody who, like, does domestic violence, things that I abhor, right? How am I going to... I'm not going to say I'm not going to play that part. Of course I am. I want to. I want the challenge. But I'm also going to realize that, you know, I'm going to have to maybe come from, like, really, like, I'm going to have to make all this shit up. I can't go from any method. So my technique as an actor is always the whatever works method. You know what I mean? It's like whatever. As long as my process doesn't fuck with your process as another actor. Because that's what happens. You get somebody, and I don't mean this because I've never worked with and I don't know Daniel Day-Lewis. But when I heard about Lincoln and he had to stay in character and everyone's in character and the whole set's lit by candlelight, I was like, come on, sounds like a fucking crock of shit. 
But the proof is in the pudding and he's brilliant. But what I'm saying is, does that affect Sally Field, who is a crazy bag, I guess, in that one? I mean, did you ever see the press interviews for Lincoln from Sally Field, how she begged for the part and all this stuff? I go, Sally Field, that's her style. She I mean, begged to work, though. That's, that's what I'm saying. And she, was, and she was fine in the role, no doubt about it. But my point being is that every actor is different. Everybody. Didn't Sean Penn do the same thing in uh, Fast Time? Did yeah, but Sean... Sean is, um, I bet, I bet Sean stays that's in character a lot of the time. He slept in Spicoli's room. Yeah, but that's, I mean, Sean is trained that way, um, you know, and if I got an opportunity to be so lucky to work with Sean, I think we'd have, we you know, we worked, I mean, he directed me and Emilio, this play I wrote with Emilio in high school called Echoes of an Era about these two Vietnam War hero guys. We had this, we wrote it. I mean, that's how we were in high school. Martin had done, um, he was my hero, Martin Sheen. He's like one of my favorite people on earth. And um, he, uh, when we did Apocalypse Now, we were all into Apocalypse Now. So we'd make our own Vietnam War movies and it would be like Chris Penn or Sean Penn and Chad McQueen. And I mean, it was sort of the Hollywood Malibu. That's, that's where I grew up, you know? So it's not a bad place to kind of feel like you belong, to understand that you sort of belong in this business, you know? No, I'm going to ask a serious question. Serious question. Who would you say in today's world, is, in our business, is um, probably one of the most versatile uh, actors you've seen? If, if you look back to when they started and... I mean, honestly, like one of my favorite actors in the world is that Javier Bardem. Oh, the bad guy in Pirates 5? Potentially, right? And then, But I mean, if you look at his body of work from like the silly villain in Skyfall to the guy you so afraid of in No Country for Old Men. Right. So that's range. Um, so I'm trying to think of who does comedy and then can deliver the goods in. It's, the problem with Hollywood is they don't have a lot of imagination. When I started as an actor, um, an actor always held the sides. Always at an audition. You never put it down. You never would memorize. I mean, you might have memorized your lines, but you always held it because you're saying to the casting person, I've got a perf- I'm giving a partial performance. I have a ways to go. And that they would want to think in their mind's eye that they could direct you and guide the performance. Nowadays, if you're not exactly the dude, they don't want you. They don't want to have to do that. Right? So now the way it's changed in the 30 years I've been doing it is now you're, everything's memorized. You throw the script away. You do the best you can with it. I guarantee that I've never gotten a part in this business because I got all the lines right. Okay? It's always how you say something, not what you say. So the behind, what's behind the words is way more important than the words. So I never freak out on, a, on having a bunch of lines because who cares if you forget them? There's someone there with the script. There's a script super. She'll tell you the words. What, what is that? Oh, the syntax is weird. Okay. We start again. There's no pressure. You put all that kind of pressure on your mind is like that'll fuck you up. So when I realized that, um, that was a big that was a big learn a lesson for me. It doesn't matter what you say, just how you say it. Would you say Penn's probably one of the most versatile? No, nah, I mean he's talented. I'm a milk too. I mean I would say Bobby Downey's probably <laughs> like the most versatile. I mean that I know because he's the funniest guy if he wants to be. And he can play the shit out of drama. I mean, that's versatility. Meryl Streep. Um, I mean, the legends. The legends. But De Niro. Pacino. I mean, I am in awe of the legends. That's the business. That's 
you want to work with these guys, but at the same time, I would be a fangirl on Al Pacino. Al, will you please sign my picture with an X, please? You know, he signs everything with an X. You know, Pacino's like, yeah, I'll give you an autograph, get an X. Thank you, Mr. Pacino. So hot. Yeah, but, I mean, of course, I would fangirl hard on any of those people. And it's hard not to, you know? You respect them. They've earned it. So, yeah, I don't know who the most versatile is, but, uh, I mean, Johnny's pretty damn versatile. They pigeonhole him with the quirkiness, but he's... Talk about somebody who took an elevated... I mean, how many actors have ever been nominated for comedy for an Oscar? How many? I, I think you probably... I mean, Tom think... Hanks, of, I think that's it. No, but, well, for big. Yeah. Uh, Johnny for Pirates. Um, I, mean, I mean, think of it. I don't know anyone that's ever won an Oscar Robert for Robert Williams has never won nominated? But I'm saying he got nominated for Goodwill Hunting. That wasn't a comedy. I mean, he might have been for Mrs. Doubtfire. But I'm saying, like I said, that's like, you're talking about that Robin Williams might be the most versatile. God Not rest his soul. Sure. No, but I mean, look at his body. I mean, from like the Goodwill Hunting, from the, uh, what was the Carpe Diem, uh, Dead Poets Society. Yeah. And obviously his comedy is just like, you know, you're going to guffaw. Yeah. Good question, though, sir. What press are you with? Um, the gay paper? The, the Michigan Gay Pride. Yeah. We pretend we're macho. I'm trying to get you, but you're so you're actually acting like a pro right now. I'm a, I know he's making he's making our job a little bit harder. Yeah. I'm a constant pro. Oh yeah. So aliens are real, and you've just seen the biggest one. Two black suit men jump up in front of you, laser you, just like men in black. Mm. You are now told to be the next whatever. Who do you want to be in your new life? Oh, my new life! I can be anybody. Yes. I'm going to be the fucking king of the world. You know, I will fucking bitch slap the next bad question that comes from the front. No. I'm definitely king of the world. I mean, why not? I mean, why would you not want to be? I mean, if you're giving you that power, I think that would be a lot of responsibility. First thing I would do is like fucking, I would make peace on earth. Uh, no, no. I'd make peace. Or, yeah, but I'm, I think money is the root of all evil. And obviously, because now we've, we've gotten rid of the middle class, yeah. we've have, I mean, we've, we've compromised a lot of our principles, we've sold our government to these corporations, we have this ridiculous, like, I mean, do you know what's in your food? I don't know what's in your food. I don't know what other, why is corn syrup in anything? I would, first thing I would do is, like, talk about, like, stopping Monsanto. That's the first thing I would do. Those motherfuckers own all the seeds, Okay. So now, if you don't buy your seeds from my... Have you ever seen that documentary? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the seeds blow onto my property and I don't have your... I haven't bought from you. They take my farm. That's, that's ridiculous. They own Blackwater. Okay? That's too much. They have too much power. We've sold our government. I mean, if I'm king of the world, I'm going to like deal with some of these issues. I, honestly, I would. You know? Um, and I also believe, like, listen, you have to be socially responsible, but you have to be smart enough that if someone hits you in the lip, you knock their fucking head off. And that's no joke. Like the Ebola crisis, okay? I think the media is making a big deal out of it. It's obviously pretty gnarly. No one's died in the States from it, but yet we're being fed every day. From the States, they died. That's what I'm saying. No one, well, correct. No one that's, no one that's caught it here, right. okay? The guy that unfortunately died in Dallas... Let me say this, and this is not meant to be, and I guarantee they kicked him out of the fucking hospital. He didn't have an insurance. He was black. Exactly. So that's a, that's a crime. Obama couldn't save him? 
Well, listen, dude, I know we disagree politically. You know, I'm, I'm, no one's further from you than me politically. I agree when you're right, and I disagree when you're wrong. And I'm going to say that's a no-win situation. To see on Facebook, oh, there was no, like, that guy that's, uh, what's the douchebag from Texas, your boyfriend that's from Canada, actually, that's, like, trying to take over politics here? Ted Cruz. <clears throat> Correct. Who? Ted Cruz. Oh, he's not about I understand. But he represents you. And he, he, um, Reagan represents me. well, and Reagan was fine. Cause now if you look at Reagan, he's a Democrat. If you look at, De- if you look at Reagan, except for kicking out all the crazy people, yeah, but he said the same creating thing. the homeless situation. John, John F. Kennedy would be a Republican. In all right. World. Well, that's what I'm saying. The, 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 it used to be this man. It used to be a line where in the middle is moderate. That's me. Jeffersonian. I'm a Jeffersonian. I'm in the middle. I believe in social responsibility, but I also believe that if you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. Okay? That's where on the right side used to be the Republicans and on the left side used to be the Democrats. And they were right there and that's how they used to make deals because they could still shake hands. Well, both parties have been captured by the ends. These guys can't do anything. They do nothing. They're both worthless. They're all worthless to me. The people have the power, but the problem is anyone who gets into the system gets corrupted. So, I mean... I, I think that's important. I doubt anyone cares what I have to say about that, but I think that's true, you know? And what I care about is that our kids will have clean water. I care that, I mean, we have children, you and me. Yeah. That's, I, it's too late for us. We got to do something for them, you know, before it's too late. We don't need them taken over by, I don't know, the, the Monsanto flag, whatever. Yeah. All right. I mean, honestly. But like my problem is like if you if a Republican has a good idea because I'm a Democrat which I am nothing now I don't choose to be any party uh, because I want to be able to go that's a good idea oh that's a good idea yeah great how come you guys can't see that that's actually smart that's the problem I don't, I don't consider myself a Republican I consider myself you're the right wing dwarf and you know it no I just say I'm, I'm conservative well, you're so conservative but yet you're not yet you're wild you you know you have a you're God-fearing, but right. yet you're fucking crazy. I'm Catholic, but I don't believe that I can tell a woman what she can and can't do with her body. Absolutely. So no, you're actually... Good. The problem with you is that you act tough, but really you're soft. Right. And that's actually not a bad thing to be. You have a heart of gold. You Actually, if these people only knew what you've done through your charity and some of the great work, and like if they'd even seen your movie about saving that kid and the brain surgery... So, so. No, no, it doesn't matter because I'm still going to praise you because that has affected me profoundly when you guys saved that kid. Yeah. You st- I know, but him, him living... F- These guys, there was a kid that lived in a hospital for five years. The parent was born with severe dwarfism and they couldn't... His parents couldn't care for him. So they basically just gave him... He lived first five years of his whole life in the hospital. No parents, no family. Only this one woman who was this charge nurse that sort of became his grandma. And this dude put up 25000 along with um, Matt from uh, Little, Little People Big World and helped pay for brain surgery to get him this, to be able to, so he could be adopted because a family wanted to take him in. That's who he really is. He talks a bunch of bluster. But there is a movie made by the Coda, his charity, that shows it. And uh, I mean, I can't watch that without crying. Because there's a happy ending, and it's really like, I mean, every kid deserves to be loved. That's my number one. If I could, like, when, when I come and do these shows, anyone that, anytime a kid comes to my table to be in the picture with me, I'm like, I don't take the parents' money. I don't care. That's a free, that's on me. If it's just, especially if it's just me and the kid, always free. 
same way. If anyone with a handicap comes to my table, I'm like, whatever you want. And they the military. Have a, yeah, they, and the military. military. Yeah. So, I mean, we're both, we both are pro-military. We both are pro, even though I'm liberal, more liberal anyway. So, I mean, I think that's interesting in Hollywood. You know, most of us are super liberal, but you got to have a brain with it. You have to have a heart. My dad used to say something. He was, he's passed away, he passed away last year, but he used to have this great saying about, um, you know, if you're 21 and you're not a liberal, you don't have a heart. And if you're like 55 and you're not a conservative, you don't have a brain. And that was his saying. And so you're somewhere in between. You know, my dad was a liberal guy in, the, in law enforcement and a liberal guy in the CIA and a liberal guy that kind of like would do regime change for our country. So he was one of the few in a world of total wasps and conservatives, you know. So he had a good, he had a good idea of really what was happening on the, the real pulse, like underneath all the bullshit. I hate to cut it, but we're, we got a little, like, limited yeah, time. Yeah, we were told you had 30 minutes. Yeah. Well, no yeah, one's coming. We is that meet and greet happening? No, I just got word the meet and greet's off so we can keep this going. Keep oh, it going if you guys want. Keep it going. Awesome. Yeah, okay. yeah, so, yeah. so right. we might as well keep rolling. Right. I mean, obviously I have a problem with talking. So. I mean, no, we, we're enjoying it. It's yeah. cool. It's not a problem. All right, next. next question. Question. Well, question. please. Um, when you first started Once Upon a Time, uh-huh. did you have any idea about how big it was going to get? Or no. how the storylines were going to go? No, definitely not that. I mean, we still don't. We still don't. Um, we, uh, I will tell you this, that the pilot script, and the pilot was one of the most expensive pilots ever made in the history of TV. I think they spent $17 million on the pilot. It's a record. I think they've now superseded it with some of the other shows that have followed only because dollars and whatever. But at the time, it was one of the most expensive shows ever done. And uh, it wasn't just because they spent a lot of money on it. It was freaking cool. I mean, how many times do you actually get to play more than multiple characters or multiple aspects of a character? Um, but the key, to, the key to any show is who's number one on your call sheet. Their attitude will dictate whether I can be an ass or I have to be nice. Our girl is a Memphis girl, Jennifer Goodwin, right? And she's one of the classiest people in the business. So the fact that she's our number one and Jennifer Morrison's our number two, another class act. Yeah, we all have to be classy. Have, what's her name? Lana's, I uh, think, yeah, Lana's, I, don't, I think she's actually number four. Because Lana wasn't a star. Lana became a star off the show. I'm her well, they write great, they write great baggers. I think Bobby Carlisle's number three, actually, on the thing. And he's he also. Is. He should be there. But I mean, that's, but Ginny had the most cachet, movie stardom plus the big love, and she's, you know, amazing, and she's Snow White, and that's kind of the lead character. But I'll tell you something, we became family instantly on that show, since the pilot. So, you really felt like, you know, if only people will enjoy what we enjoy about it. And then they nailed the pilot. I mean, the, the original part of the storytelling in that first season with all our backstories, and with all the kind of flipping back and forth directly, taking a Cinderella and like showing her in modern day and the, the equivalent was brilliant. One of the things really <clears throat> that once has in common with Pirates and why they both were seen as successful by the audience is that you took established storyline. Pirates, for example, was a f- ride obviously at the park that was loved. So we all knew that it had inside the ride, oh, these images of Kevin McNally laying with the pigs, of the treasure room looking like the mound of gold. They put that in the movie, saying to the audience of Disney, hey, man, this is your story that we're telling. So please just let us have these two hours and we'll give you a spin on it. But then it's still Disney and we still respect it. 
And that's what the, the writers brilliantly did on Once Upon a Time. They took the characters that people already loved, didn't change the obvious basic facts of the character, just changed the kind of gray areas. Stuff that hasn't been discussed by Waltz or by Hans Christian Andersen or by the, the storylines. And at the time, we had, America had been just going through some fairly rough times. So the idea of a show based on hope, about love, about family, about positivity, good timing for it. So, I mean, that's, it all felt good. You know, there was a, I literally auditioned for the show and then got it and was on the plane the next day. I didn't really have time to even think about it. You know, it was just a gig for me and it was, it came at a great time for me. What you know, do you think would have happened if we would have been on Pirates 4? Well, I mean, then I would, who knows where I'd be. I'd be on some other show, hopefully. And, you know, hopefully. I mean, that's the way it is. You make a choice. Pirates, great example. Listen, I was desperate. <laughs> I was like a 40-something actor. Phone wasn't ringing. When it did, my auditions were shitty. Um, and I was questioning whether that was it for me, to be honest. You know, it was one of those, like, gut check moments. And I thought about it. I go, there's really nothing else I can fucking do. So I think I better get a change my attitude around. But I had an audition on Monday of this week, whenever it was, 2002, uh, for a Three's Company TV movie. Okay, and I had done a show, do you guys ever see a show called The Action? Yes. Okay, where I play like a Barry Diller-esque kind of character. It's a great one if you haven't watched it. It's a, it was a Fox series that uh, lasted 13 episodes, but it was kind of like Entourage before Entourage. Um, so I played a producer on that show. So I got this call on Friday for an audition Monday saying they want you for this part, but you gotta go read for it. You're the guy. Your only choice, you're gonna have this part. Oh, a TV movie on a month's work? Fantastic. Three's company that was on NBC, actually, if you remember. So I go to the audition. NBC? Huh? Are you sure? Yeah, it was on NBC. I thought they were NBC. Okay. No, it was back. I don't know why it was A. And the show itself was was ABC, the yeah. Three's Company okay, for right. sure. But the the movie about the making of it and the <laughs> Suzanne Summers quitting and the whole thing, I think it was an NBC. It was aired on NBC, the the actual TV movie, right? But I go to the audition thinking it's mine, and then there's Daniel Roebuck. I don't know if you know Daniel Roebuck, the actor, but Dan was there, and I was like, oh, you're so much better for this part. It was me and him, and of course he got it, and I was fucking bummed. But I got home, and on my, it was the day of the fax machines, and it spit out, there's an audition, Pirates of the Caribbean, Johnny Depp, Thursday. If I'd gotten the other thing, that never would have happened. So one door closes. This is the thing about being an actor, being an artist, being a journalist, being in the media, writers, whatever. When that door closes in your frickin' face, be pissed, but take a couple steps back before you try and bust through it. I mean, it's locked. You're not getting in that door. Realize that. Back up. Look at the 10 doors open on the side. We lose peripheral vision when we get right up against something. We need a little perspective. And that's what that taught me, that like, you know, no matter how bad it is, there's always something better. And that's the hope that we as artists kind of go for. That's how we roll. That's why we're crazy. That's how we do it. So we were bullshitting a little bit earlier, talking about Apocalypse. Yeah. And you, you said you hadn't thought about that. Years. How often does a fan come up and tell you, like, they remember the most obscure thing you've once done? A, at least once or twice in a con, every con. At least once or twice. I mean, somebody came up today and said something about me being, because uh, I did one episode of this show called, uh, 
I can't, I can't remember it. Um, Dead at Last. Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, and my buddy Steve Pink and DVD Vincennes, the guys that did Gross Point Blank, again, Cusack guys. Um, that's been a big influence. That's Chicago. When I started a theater company also in Chicago with Cusack and his cronies, Piven, Steve Pink, DVD Vincennes, the guys that did Gross Point, all that. That was that posse. Um, just one show. I hadn't thought about that one ever. Never mentioned in my whole career. In the, of Conworld, never thought of it one time. And this fan was like, "Oh, both of you, both me and you, played butchers." That was yeah, the yeah, thing, yeah, yeah. right? So that's cool. Apocalypse. I haven't thought of that. What would I think of that? You know, not that it wasn't a great experience. Not that I didn't have fun. But it's a low budge sci-fi. No one saw it except for the few cognoscenti that see everything. Obviously, of a certain genre. Um, so. Yeah, I'm only going to talk about that here. I rarely talk about Warriors of Virtue. I rarely talk about Dungeons and Dragons. I rarely talk about a lot of the shit. In comparison, Warriors of Virtue, I played one of the baddies, Mantos. Okay, okay. You know, but that's the thing. That's the life I lead, man. I've traveled all over this beautiful world. And I've met a lot of cool people. Eight months in Beijing, ten months in Prague, and then this movie in New York, whatever. That's the experience I look for. So that I'm not like, oh, I'm a fucked. I'm stuck in my hotel for ten months away from my show. Oh, fuck, that's a great opportunity to see the world, you know? Yeah, I know you're not like that. I don't know if I can do it though. I know. Well, you, you know, you have a tougher time. I, I engage. Oh, you know, I, I, you love, you know, I love being in my hotel room, but like, I don't know if I can do. I tell Michelle, I'm like, if it happens, if we go for five, I'm not sure. I think about you all the time. I'm like, I don't know how he does it. Like, I don't know if I could be away from Mackie for. Well, I'm not, I don't know, if we did that movie, I mean, potentially being in Australia for four or five months, I'm definitely bringing my posse down for a month. I'll yeah. pull them right out of school, for course, for a month. Yeah. But I'm not going to have them there all the time, because i got work to do, you know? And also, I won't have as much fun. That's true. You know? So, I mean, part of that is like, hey, man, my wife's great. When I, when I go on the road, she goes, go be a teenager. I'm so jealous of you. And, that, and then that license to live frees me up emotionally. To feel guilty about it, I'm bringing home the bacon. Hollywood is an international concept now, right? It's not like just there's no work in LA because the taxes, the unions gouge them. So the, the, these are cheap corporate bastards that aren't even concerned about the bottom line of how much they got to spend. So they'll go work with a lesser crew. They'll diss all the great people of Hollywood. They make us all hit the road. That's just how we are now. We go on the road. I, I mean, crews bees go to New Orleans. They go to Michigan. They go wherever. Atlanta. It doesn't matter. We're it international. Um, but this weekend, we're wrapping uh, Superman versus Batman yeah. in Detroit. Yeah, Detroit. What I'm saying. <clears throat> yeah, so the business has changed. The business, the paradigm's changed. Well, said to say a Governor bit. Jerry Brown, the, Gov, Jerry Brown just like, passed a $330 million tax incentive for California. I mean, it's a drop in the bucket, but it's something. And if it drives two or three shows back to Hollywood, that's great for not just for the actors and the crew, but for the dry cleaners. For the catering business. I mean, that's the people that got hurt. Right? I mean, actors, we're, we're the only asset on a spreadsheet. Right? We're the, we're the talent. And that's something that you learned along. Cusack taught me this when I was young. He taught me how to audition. Like, when I walk into an audition, I mean, hopefully I've done my work. That's without saying. But the actual uh, human exchange, the interplay. You're looking at me. I'm looking at you. You're, you're judging me. I'm checking you out. You know, there's that moment when they're seeing, oh, nice package. I'm like, yeah, nice package. She got her legs closed. No, but you know what I'm saying? 
I'm not. I'm not objectifying. I'm doing a power thing. I'm in the power game here. I'm the talent. I know that you want every audition. See, this is the thing actors don't realize. Every time you walk in the room, they want you to be the guy, because then they're done. It's hard work casting. They they're rooting for every single actor. And every actor should realize that. They actually want you to be the guy because then they're done work. They can go home and go have a beer. Right? So mentally, you go and you go, I'm either the guy or I'm not the guy. I go in like a dog, sniff around, find a good place to pee, and always have some place to go. <laughs> always. Like, I love you. It's been fun hanging, but I'm busy. I got to rock. So hopefully I'll see you on set. You know what I mean? That kind of attitude. Not needy. Because that's the worst thing. If they catch you, you could be desperate, but you can't show it. The only business, the only business where if you want to work, it's seen as a negative. Stunt men, stunt men, they're the only, they're allowed to go put their resume in the trailer. Walk onto a set and here's my, if you ever need me. Could you imagine an actor doing that? Walking up to some, uh, hey, J.J. Abrams, I so want to be in Star Wars, really. I, I, I hung out with Greg Grunberg in, 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 in you know, Tennessee. We're both Jewish, uh, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, God bless your college roommate. But I mean, a talented guy, but it's connections made, you know. But we're not allowed to actually let them know that we want it. We've got to act like we don't want it. Oh, God, I don't want to be the star of your TV. I don't want it. God, no. How much? Yeah, I'm in. <laughs> yeah. You never, that's, that's a key part of it, right? It's poker. That's why actors are excellent poker players. We're always taught as a young, young actor, observe people. Not just to watch them and pick up their <clears throat> mannerisms, but to understand human psychology. That's storytelling, right? The vulnerability is why you love the biggest movie stars in the world. Because they're saying one thing with their eyes when their mouth is saying something else. That's, the, that's it. That's the big bucks. That's, the, that's what you're paid to do. Who is it? Is it your boy like Mickey Rooney or one of the great legends of the business that would simplify it? Ah, you walk in. You hit your mark. You look the other fella in the eye. You tell the truth. And you try not to hit the furniture on the way out. That's the game, baby. Keep it simple. You know, that's the greatest, the greatest of our, of our generation of this kind of acting. Keep it real simple, you know, and I'm still working on it. You know, that's something hard for me because I'm pretty big. So to be able to kind of compress that energy and focus it and that's the game. That's the game. So, of course, being out near L.A., as you said, the job is kind of left. Do you think that might be because YouTube has kind of taken over L.A. as their... This is where everyone on YouTube now lives and works. Well, I think what happens is, you know, the, the, the industry has to stay young and stay current. So with YouTube, um, you know, it's a great way to expose new talent. I mean, honestly, I think they throw a lot of money at people that are hacks. But at the same time, there's some talented kids out there. If, you're, if your site gets enough hits... That I mean, the dude, did you see the dude in Indonesia that got kicked in the head by the train? Like he's, yeah. oh, I'm going to get a selfie with the train and the guy kicks in his neck. <clears throat> that guy got paid a quarter million dollars from YouTube because his, his, you know, channel kept getting hits, hits, hits. So it got, it got you know, his, uh, they advertised on it. The chick Rebecca Black made $4 million on that Friday's thing or whatever it was because so many hits. Bob so doing a lot now too. Yeah. So you can't argue with that. I mean, money talks to everyone. 
and especially to artists, you know, monetizing your art is the whole object of it. People deny it. People want to pursue art, but trust me, art with no money. It's like, what is it? there used to be a line, one of the great blues songs. It's like, romance without finance is a nuisance. And art's the same way. You need to be, you need to, you need, you need to be able to survive to create art, you know? So I want to say YouTube is not a bad thing, you know? And if it encourages my son to be a storyteller or be whatever he wants because he likes to watch videos, they all do, right? Well, usually it's about Minecraft, but whatever. You know? <laughs> but even so, those guys become famous. The guys that do Minecraft videos, how to, how to like, do this or how to do that on Minecraft, right? They're making boatloads of cash because it's YouTube can commerce it, you know? So... Yeah, I think it's definitely the way it is, but it also gives everyone a chance. You know, people won't get discovered like the way we got discovered by actually doing shows. Celebrity now is like, I mean, I like to say this. This is a good one. You'll like this. I'll go all the way back to ancient times, ancient Greece. Theater was a sacred event. The telling of the story, if you go to the theater of Epidaurus, where acoustics were invented, these are sacred spaces to the society. But with the rise of the church, what was the first thing they did? They vilified the storytellers. That's straight out of Da Vinci Code, right? They, no actors or dogs allowed for a thousand years, for longer. Traveling minstrels, only allowed to do kind of stuff that had religious content. Otherwise, every actor was a thief and every actress was a hooker. And half of them were to survive. They couldn't own land, couldn't live in cities, had to travel, okay? An actor killed Abraham Lincoln, all right? All the way up, actors are evil. Maybe in the court theater, but they were tolerated, you know, say in, in the days after, in the, after the Renaissance, they were tolerated, all right? Then the advent of the movie screen, the advent of the television, where that shit is so much more powerful than spoken word, the written word, this box that goes, ooh, right? So, now we're famous. Now it's no dogs or actors allowed. It's like, oh my God, we're the most important people. I mean, my gosh, we're so fucking fabulous because we can, right? So we're a little out of pocket now in society without, you know, why are you listening to me? You know what I mean? Because I was on, I'm on a TV show. I mean, really? Yeah, you are. You're famous, but okay, cool. Okay. But at the same point, then we have Honey Boo Boo. We have to put up with Kardashian, <laughs> cult of celebrity, cult of personality. That's the penalty we pay. But at the same time, we have really great storytelling. But trust me, the church is in competition. I mean, that turned into TV preachers to compete. And they put out a couple movies that make it. Like, <clears throat> Absolutely. I mean, I'm not saying anything wrong with... I'm not talking against religion. Oh, no, I'm just saying but I'm just talking about the concept of storytelling to the society, yeah. right? So in this, this is a great time to be an actor right now. This is one of the golden ages, you know, this 100 and 150-year period of time. Uh, before they start figuring a way to do it all on computer and saving a few bucks, you know. So they're getting the big bucks to pull down Cage now and a couple of the religious films. Let's say they look at you and they're like, "You play, you know, you're on one spot of time. We need you to come in mm -hmm. to do what? To, to, I don't, I don't know what they're doing. Well, I'm gonna. I've never seen one. I'm just saying that's what they're. You mean like a Kirk Cameron thing or whatever? I, don't, I, don't I mean, again, like, listen, I'm not. Did you act in it? What? Don't know. Don't know. Don't know. The newest one. I mean, there's very few things. I believe Michael Caine is one of my favorite actors. 
because he just always said yes to everything. So I'm not so inclined to ever turn work down because it's like, you know, I feel that's a bit of a jinx. But I think morally, I, you know, if I'm not going to agree with it, I might, I might pass on okay. something. But I'm not going to say I would because, like, listen, I've done – I did a show, this, one, this movie called Polar Opposites. Anyone ever hear of that one? Probably my most obscure thing ever was a literally a movie where I played like Dick Cheney and uh, a Dick Cheney-esque character and they, they did two storylines. One with a heterosexual and with a homosexual. But I needed the gig. I didn't judge it. I was like, oh, they're paying me. Yeah, they're paying. I'll take it. So, I mean, actors do things that maybe like you'd be like, oh, I'm never embarrassed because I'm a character actor. Half the time they won't recognize me anyway. You know, I get into the role. They, is that you? No, it wasn't me. As, as we say that, somebody online that's going to watch this is just going to be like, I need to see Leah Harrington playing a gay guy. Oh, well, I'm famous for that, dude. I'm, I, I play, I'm in Californication. Okay? Uh, action. Action, I play the head of the Velvet Mafia. I'm naked all the time. You probably dig it. You know what I mean? I mean, it was oh. Fox TV. I did the first full male frontal nudity on network TV. The first full male frontal nudity. You check that show out. It's on the cover of the New York Times business section. Jay Moore's head... Blocking my fucking cock and balls from the whole world. You know, perfectly framed where you can see both sides of my thigh. Ain't no joke that I'm naked. And they'll come to you and they'll go, oh, here's your little underwear. I'm going, what? I don't take a shower naked. The cocksack. Yeah, the cocksack. Exactly. That's the worst. You're not going to put that on. I'm not doing, I'm not some chili, red hot chili peppers. I used to do that when I, that's what I used to do in the 70s. I'd wear a sock and go streak. Hi, girls, babysitters. <laughs> like, we used to do that. It was like 1975 Santa Monica. What's that? We used to call that pool hopping. We would run around, you know, we were, I don't know, middle school. We'd yeah. camp out in somebody's backyard. Yeah. And when the parents went to bed, like 10 boys, you know, you know, middle school, whatever, run around the subdivision, jumping in and out of people's pools until the lights came on. Yeah. And we'd all be bare ass naked running. Yeah. I mean, that's what I think, like, today, the kids today, like, they're way, like, I remember, like, we used to go, my house, like, three miles from the beach, we used to ride our bikes to the beach in the morning, we'd lock it up on the bluff, we'd cross down to the bluff, we'd cross an eight-lane highway with no light. You think kids are allowed to do that now? No, it's not. A different world, you know? It's a different world, so, to have had that experience and to live that life, I mean, you feel like you've been very lucky in this world. I've had a good, I've had a good go-round, like, you know, if you believe in Buddhism and you believe in any kind of that reincarnation or whatever this I must have been good in a previous life because this one's been pretty fucking good you know oh we've got 10 minutes 10 minutes come on I, you know one question will get us 10 so, more minutes so uh oh you and your weird questions I'm so worried I don't need to step in no go ahead he's got a real question go right oh no don't I didn't need another party question is this serious one or is it going to be silly would you say then that um who are the four Mark John Luke and who the four? Matthew. 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 See, I'm an Old Testament guy. I'm Jewish, so I'm an Old Testament guy. I don't, I, I'm the New but, Testament. Would you say friend. that they were great storytellers? Because technically, those guys, the guys who wrote that, weren't even around well, obviously, for like 150 years I mean, after. Obviously. Obviously, one of the best sellers of all time is the Bible. Yeah. Because what, but what, it's the same way. It's like <laughs> we're teaching morality. We need something to like organize the society and have us to live as humans. The Book of Laws, the Code of Hammurabi. There's many ancient texts that are fascinating. I mean, the Bible itself, I mean, the Book of Enoch. 
there's some crazy stuff that were that are ancient scrolls that are fantastic, right? Um, I was working on a comic book and kind of like stalled it out because my buddy got got busy and then I got busy. But I've, I've I've been working on a series of comic books based on the Book of Enoch in the modern day, you know, about the last of the fallen angels. I mean, there's some amazing stories that just got they got edited because it didn't fit the line. So, but the great prophets of of Christianity, I mean. Look, the Romans, they were tough son of, sons of bitches, you know? But something made him have an awakening. Something made him have something. And what, it doesn't matter what it was. Something happened. We weren't there. We don't know. I mean, know. isn't it weird that they think uh, the Romans, uh, the, the people who actually crucified so-called Jesus, I'm not a Jesus believer, but end up becoming the most... Christ well, people, trust me, There's. I did a play called The Boys in the Back Room, which was all about the spear of Longinus, <clears throat> the spear that the guy allegedly held, piercing Christ's side and instantly converting him when he saw the, yeah. right? And that was literally like that, there's, a, there's legend about that spear because Hitler found it, allegedly, right? When he raped Europe of all its possessions. And then in the course of this play, you follow that, Patton gets it, and then Aristotle Onassis, and then the real kind of control all the way through. I was playing Dick Nixon in that one, Dick Fixer, they called him, um, as the spear gets passed along through, uh, came into America and stuff. So I believe if it's legend, where there's smoke, there's fire, there has to be something there. Something happened. We don't know what it was, you know? And again, history over time gets stretched, gets told, the story gets told. It's like that game uh, telephone or operator or whatever they call it. Where the story, by the time it gets over here, it's a little different than when I started, but sort of related. So, good question, sir. What press are you with? Below the belt. How did you get a press credential? So, <laughs> it's really easy, let me tell you. Yeah. Okay. Well, I claimed I was in tongue in the ass for that. Yeah. Oh, did I say that a lot? Okay, that was the most outrageous thing I think I've heard all weekend. We had a bet, like all my friends, like how long would it take him to be inappropriate? Like, and I literally took, I seriously, I was like, oh, Marty's going to be his best behavior. I'll take 32 minutes. It was a minute and 22 seconds that when he got here, that he was inappropriate. We, we were all like betting. We had bets. All his friends were like, oh, minute 22. Like, First thing I said was? I'm not going to say it because I didn't actually hear it, but it was like it was reported. Yeah. Something about sitting on someone's face. No, or... I, I said I want to fuck the shit out of Gigi. Fuck <laughs> 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 And then all of a sudden I go, somebody goes, it was a minute and 32 seconds. Oh my God, I'm glad Michelle's going to be listening to this interview. I know, she just texted me too. That's is it, is it that because, was smart, bro. Is it because she's blonde or Australian? It's just or... fucking... I don't know what it is. No, she's she's, just, she's, she's, she's she hot. She's a hottie. She's a hottie. Mixture. She's a great girl. <laughs> yeah. We, well, we go back. We've been, you know, to England. So you've had your love affair started in England with her anyway. Michael Bay just called you and he's going to put you in the next superhero movie. Okay. You're going to be any superhero you want to be with all the flash. Is Batman, Batman a superhero? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, I mean, I don't need to be, I wouldn't mind being a villain in a Batman movie. I'm a huge Batman guy. I'll tell you, though, the best movie I'd seen in a long time was that Guardians of the Galaxy. I, I mean, I just loved every second of it. I didn't expect that much of it. I'd never seen a movie in a long time that incorporated a soundtrack like that as well into the story. 
that you know I just thought that was brilliant I mean I literally left the theater and going oh, I had iTunes the whole soundtrack you know now they're gonna do a cartoon yeah uh, but I mean it was it was they nailed it they nailed it you know um, James Gunn brilliant job you know what a cool dude you know I love when I love when cool people are successful in this business is that you know? the guy is the main guy no James Gunn was a director uh, Chris Pratt was the main Chris dude. Pratt? But I didn't know who he was. Dude, you didn't watch Parks and Rec? No, but I was working with, no, I was working with him on Jurassic Park yeah. 4, fighting him, he's uh, a dinosaur, yeah. and then that movie comes out, and I'm yeah. like, oh, I, I was, I'm that guy, like, I'm yeah. the guy annoying Nice me. guy, though. Yeah, stupid. But we know Zoe, of course, from, oh, yeah. yeah, from Pirates, so she was always been and cool. Avatar, I mean, look at how big, well, yeah. it's so weird to be like, Oh, Disney shit on you, but yeah. Well, I mean, who even knows what did? I think they was like she was. That was only because I think Gore wanted Angela Bassett or whatever. It was kind of crazy. I mean, Zoe was like a rock. I just remember her like from day one or two, like her not being treated the the status of what she you know was should have been versus the rest of us back our 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 pirate guys. Yeah, they were treating her not like a you know she should have. been. I think we're doing this again tomorrow, right? Nope. This is part one. Yeah. Yeah. Do we appreciate your time? Dude, I appreciate you guys. <laughs> this is really fun, actually. I like talking about myself nonstop. <laughs> we, we like hearing about you, so it's a win-win for us. Well, now you guys can I go do your research and come up with some good questions. You got more questions, sir, from the below the belt? <laughs> God, that paper should be I've banned. I've got tongue back. <laughs> <laughs>